<laughs> yeah, good evening, everyone. Welcome to uh, the second part of the Indicator Cast episode. Um, tonight, the second half of this episode, we'll be covering the second box set. The first one was we just heard from Andrew on the Mexican side. And this one is on the Almond family, which is the second box set the Indicator is releasing. Um, so uh, we've actually got a very special guest here tonight to join us and tell us a bit more about this family and their films. But before we do, I'll just quickly, um, uh, my regulars are here, uh, Ryan Kendall and Tony Meaches. How are you guys doing tonight? Do, do I'm it. doing very, we're both well, yeah. Yes, we're both well. We're both well. For a couple of logs, we're good. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> awesome and um and i'm very very uh uh very excited to be joined here this evening with um author and film historian uh, john harrison who is based in uh, melbourne australia um john has written a number of books on films and is currently working on a book about kiss um the band the history of them and uh you know television and um and their music and also uh john yeah, does work for blu-ray labels such as umbrella writes some um notes uh liner notes and, and various other things so um john I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself um yeah welcome to to the the show cheers thanks for that uh john and thank you uh for having me on and hi to tony and ryan so you yeah, look just a bit of brief background seeing it's my first um time on like andrew leobold that you had on earlier i've kind of been around the the trap since the early 90s started writing for fanzines and then started publishing my own photocopied fanzines in the mid-90s and worked my way up to writing for, for magazines like Is It Uncut in the UK and Fatal Visions, Michael Helms' legendary uh, Australian zine of the 80s and 90s. Label-wise, I guess, which is probably the most uh, interest to your listeners, I've uh, written some stuff, written some booklet essays for Glass Doll Films when they were still around uh, for a few of their Ozploitation films and have recently been doing some stuff for Umbrella, started off with their Snapshot uh, booklet essay, which was actually a, a leftover from the Glass Doll release that was due to be uh, put out a few years ago before the label seemed to disappear. And just done the Hammer booklet and also a piece in the art uh, box set in the book in that. I did a piece on clown horror and got the book coming up in the upcoming Burt Reynolds box set, which is very exciting. Mm. And future work, I guess, I've uh, just done my first uh, essay for an Arrow release in the UK. I can't sort of release the title as yet, unfortunately, but that's pretty mm. exciting as well, uh, working for great, uh, great label like Arrow and um, also done a video and um, audio essay for a couple of UK Blu-rays, which again, I'll announce in time. Fantastic. Very, very cool. I was just going to say, John, I just got my hammer set uh, yesterday, actually. So I've got it here in my hand. So I'm, I'm very keen to dig into that and read your, uh, read your uh, booklet. There as well. Yeah, I've got my hand. Good to see it um, coming out. I know sometimes you've got to be a bit patient with some of these releases, but when they do come out, they usually uh, live up to their promise. Mm, they do too. Yeah, they do too. Tony, I know you got yours as well. Yeah, I got my hammer box. I got my hammer box set last week. I'm obsessed with hammer, so anything hammer related, I will buy. But I'm impatiently waiting for my this is art box set, so I can't wait to read. Oh, yeah, no, that one. People, um, it's basically been doing a trip around Australia, I think, before they're getting it. 
Marlon went to Mel. Marlon went to Sydney, went back to Melbourne again, and now it's back in Sydney. So he's hoping he'll be here tomorrow. But we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, indeed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, no, but amazing, and and um, and yeah, like I said, uh, John, you you have a wealth of knowledge there on these these sort of. Uh, films and, and and cult films and um, I guess I said that the the Allman family it, it like you said it's a bit of a blind spot for myself Tony and Ryan um, and but Andrew like I said we just spoke to Andrew he knew a bit about the family um, he actually interviewed one of them back in the 90s but John I'll, I'll take a step back how did you come across the Allman family and, and what's kind of your connection with the these filmmakers yeah, so definitely, I think, uh, like Andrew as well, uh, we'll probably cross uh, quite a bit in comments potentially because we are both uh, lean towards that sort of cult exploitation area of filmmaking. And the Ormans, even within that field, are pretty sort of obscure. You know, there's not many people that really know about them. Certainly, they were well off my radar until the early 90s when uh, there was a quite a lengthy article written about them in an issue of Michael Weldon's legendary psychotronic video magazine and uh, reading that like a lot of the interviews and articles in psychotronic back in the day it always sent you down a bit of a, a, a what rabbit hole to try and locate a lot of these films which clearly was a lot easier said than done back in the 90s especially when you were living out in Australia in the sticks so it was pretty tough getting a hold of uh, some of these films but just reading you know they, they had one of those stories that's almost like um, the story themselves is just as entertaining or even more entertaining than their actual films and I think that was one thing that a lot of those real sort of exploitation independent filmmakers had you know was uh, not just the the, the great films that entertain people and still, you know, making jaws drop 40, 50 years later, but they're also really inter interesting people as well and had, like, really uh, interesting upbringings, like the Ormans. They came from, like, the down uh, south, so very sort of strange, um, you know, Louisiana, Tennessee types. And I think a lot of that... Um, you know, the, the things that they grew up and were exposed to later came across in their films. And Ron Ormond himself, who was born, you know, way back in the early 1900s, I think about 1910, pretty much uh, was making things like Lacheroo Westerns and, you know, B-grade thrillers, a couple of uh, nudie monster films. He was basically just going, you know, like a lot of exploitation uh, filmmakers trying to make a living, just going where the, you know, the money was or where the, you know, where the current trend was, especially when it came to, like, independent drive-ins and grindhouses. And one film he did make that was um, quite um, notorious was the famous uh, The Monster and the Stripper from uh, 1966, I believe that one came out as. And that was also released as The Exotic Ones. I think that's the title that is coming out on the... Um, uh, the indicator box set as and essentially what happened with the Ormans but they were from like a, you know a strong sort of religious Baptist uh, family but after he survived a plane crash in 1968 Ormond sort of took that as a sign that he needs to spend the rest of his life and the rest of his career trying to uh, convert the uh, the sinners and make them repent so from the late 60s until uh, you know pretty much until he died but certainly during the late 60s and early 70s period is when he made some of his more notorious works, uh, movies like The Burning Hell and The 
wonderfully titled If Footmen Tie You, What Will Horses Do? And I think to try and describe a Norman film, it's kind of like imagine, you know, someone like Ed Wood who was, um, you know, as obsessed with Jesus and sinners as much as he was with the Angora sweaters. And if he teamed up with someone like Herschel Gordon Lewis to make a religious gore film, then the result would probably be something like uh, those films that Ron Norman did produce and direct in the late 60s and early 70s. That sounds amazing. I'm all for that. And very, um, again, you know, I think when people have that strange sort of religious viewpoint, it comes across in the films as like a, a, a very like indefinable quality, but it's just very surreal and strange. And the gore in it, if you're familiar at all with uh, the Herschel Gordon Lewis films, which I'm sure most of you are, you know, the gore itself is not um, technically proficient or believable, but it's just piled on with so much uh, red paint that it's just stunning. And just also you add on top of that all the the preaching you know basically you've got you know girls that are sitting there in church and being told you know if they have sex they're going to go to hell and if they don't help out their mother they're going to go to hell and these poor girls sitting in church start having all these like dreams about you know being by their mother's side while she dies and the mother saying why can you be a new girl and believe in god and and it just gives the films a really strange tone that's um quite strange and i think uh Another great thing about the films, just from a purely entertainment uh, point of view, is most of the most of the religious films that the Ormans did barely ran for like you know one hour, so they never really sort of wear out their welcome. You know, there's something you can sort of watch for fifty or so minutes and just marvel at them, but you never sort of uh, start. They never sort of start to, to drag on because of that uh, quick runtime. And also, I guess, uh, another similar thing to compare them to is, of course, that whole uh, classroom education genre, which, again, is something that I've always been fascinated with uh, ever since when I was a kid and seeing, like, driver education films being screened in uh, high school just before home video, just before video education um, systems came in. And those educational movies they're real like windows into the society of the day and just how a lot of the people that were um i guess in charge of the things um wanted us to behave or wanted us to think that you know this is how people were and how the world should be and, and that's that's the thing like it's it's just just sounds absolutely bizarre because um you know when the set was first announced and i went oh you know religious films and that's why i was scratching my head a bit but speaking to andrew and yourself and a few others they they pretty much confirmed that these are not your ordinary religious films these are quite quite bonkers these films oh absolutely yeah again you know if you if you like uh your films like herschel gordon lewis and andy milligan as another filmmaker you know al al adamson you know you'll love um the ormond family stuff certainly and uh, you know again the pre-religious stuff like the monster and the stripper is also a pretty outrageous film about a you know a pretty self-titled um title but yeah again has like a great sort of backwards uh swamp sleaze aspect to it that's yeah, really quite yeah. unique again uh, i think any of those films that are sort of filmed in those backwaters of down south you know they've automatically got like a real oppressive atmosphere to them that makes them uh, very unique yeah because yeah, as, as soon as i saw the exotic ones uh you know the poster and the artwork immediately thought of something like the gorgor girls or something along those lines just really 
you know, out there sort of, you know, films of, the, of that era. Um, Definitely. Just, and, um, I think it's probably a, a brave choice for Indicator as well. I mean, um, oh. I'm sure it'll sell out and do well for them. But, you know, when you look at all uh, a lot of the other filmmakers that they've done, box sets, not just Indicator, of course, but other labels, you know, like uh, the Herschel Gordon-Lewis sets and Al Adamson, even, um, uh, you know, Andy Milligan, uh, those people were sort of still fairly well-known amongst cult film historians and fans and collectors. Whereas, as you said, you know, the Ormonds, it's pretty much like an unknown quality, uh, quantity to a lot of people because even going back to that um, psychotronic article that I mentioned, you know, that, that certainly mm-hmm. didn't lead to like a big revival of the Ormonds or anything like a lot of articles did in the 80s on Herschel Gordon-Lewis. You know, that led to like a big rediscovery of his films. You know, it kind of like the article came out and then, you know, nothing really happened. And I think... Uh, one of the reasons for that is probably because the films were still so hard to find and track down in the 90s, whereas some pet labels like Something Weird were sort of issuing the films of uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis and Doris Wishman. So that was sort of getting a lot of fans coming in because they could actually see the films, whereas with The Ormonds, I guess until now, a lot of people probably have never really had the chance to uh, actually watch them and to see them in such what will be such great quality uh, will be fantastic for sure. Yeah, and that's the thing. You make a good point, the accessibility of these. Because, yeah, no, we all know those other directors, um, uh, you know, you know, even to a degree, um, even the more obscure ones, we, we can st- still see their work. Even the, you know, the Ray Dennis Stickler set, uh, you know, I've seen some of his films as well. But this was a complete blind spot for me. Um, d- Tony, Ryan, did you, um, when the set was announced, what did you think? Had you heard of any of these films or was this kind of a a blind, blind thing for you, Tony. Well, how about yourself? What do you think when this was announced? This is entirely blind for me, for sure. Like, um, I saw, I, I was reading some of it and then, um, Chris, and then I read it was something along the lines of Christian horror. And I thought, wow, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a Christian horror film. And I'm really looking, I'm actually excited for this set. It looks really fascinating. Something new that I haven't seen before. Oh, I always look forward to. Mm. And uh, Kendall, what, what do you think when this was announced? Was it uh, quite, <laughs> quite intriguing, just the cover alone? Like, what, what is this? I know. Um, to, to be honest, the first, I like misread it, and I was like, the Osmonds? When did the Osmonds make films? <laughs> so I was like, fuck yeah, I'm all for the Osmonds, and I want some Donny Osmond horror. For... <laughs> so I completely misread it, but... um. I don't know, like the cover of um, this lady. What's her name? George Dante. Yes. I was like, she's lovely. I like a little mole as well. I don't know if that's real or fake, but it just like it's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's real. Uh, she is uh, still around. She just recently had an accident. I know I've got her as a Facebook friend and she was in um, hospital. So hopefully she's oh. on the mend and will be doing a bit of promotion, I believe. Um, yeah. If you order the box directly from um, Indicator. Mm. Oh, no, sorry. I think there's some sort of special. Maybe if you order the book or the box set from FAB Press. There might be a separate exclusive book just on Georgette Dante that comes with it. Okay, yeah, because there's this um on the Indicator site there they do have like a book called The Exotic Ones. Which yeah, is, which is um I think that's like a separate book that um yeah. that uh, what's his name um Nick, Jimmy Nick, McDonough yeah. is doing and uh, yeah. 
there's obviously a booklet, a 100-page book that comes with the set itself, which I imagine will be like a condensation or, you know, excerpts from the larger book, which is great as well because, again, uh, Jimmy McDonald's uh, always a exciting writer and spends a lot of time, um, you know, investigating and uncovering a lot of great information. If anyone's out there hasn't read any of his other stuff, he's previously done the biographies of Russ Meyer, Big Bosoms and Square Jaws, and he also mm. did the infamous um, biography of uh, Andy Milligan, the ghastly one. So certainly looking forward to reading the book uh, as well that comes with it. Been unsure about buying a larger one only because uh, the postage is pretty much the, the same cost as the book, which is like UK £75. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah, it's a big book. Big space, yeah, because they, they, they if they do do a cheaper sort of a paperback reprint or something of it down the line, I would definitely be all over it. But I'm sure the 100-page book, uh, 100 pages is certainly quite um, extensive, you know, so hopefully that will have a lot of good information in it. I'm sure it will, yeah. It'll, it'll probably yeah. go through, like, each film as well and just yeah. bits and bobs there. Well, well yeah, because I was going to say, uh, Indicator were able to secure some copies of the book. So if you, um, if I'm not mistaken, Kendall, if you order it with the the, the Blu-ray set, you can get 10% off the book as well if you want to get a bit of a discount. Yeah, yeah. You do the you type in. Through, um, that press, is it, directly? Uh, it's through Indicator. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they got copies of the Fab Press book. Yeah, yeah. They were able to. Yeah. Um, you just put the word bundle in and you get 10% off. Because, yeah, yeah, I saw it advertised. Uh, the first thing I did was just um, get uh, Lee from Cinemaniacs to say, look, can you pre-order me one of these just so I can save one? So I got it through there. But, yeah, look, I'd certainly be um, interested in the book. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic uh, read and certainly a, a great visual uh, treat as well because Fab Press always go the extra mile when it comes to their presentations. They, they do, they do, and unfortunately, you're right, John. I was just checking out, yeah, the the post because of the weight. It's um, indicators better price wise. It's about forty pound to have it delivered, <laughs> but still, yeah, you know, just the weight. Lot, though, yeah, forty pound. That's almost like you know about eighty, ninety dollars at least. Mm. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, it's wow. Did you um? Did you get the book, Kendall, or just the Blu-ray set? No, nah, no, I didn't get the book. Um, I'm a bit yeah, poor I'll, at the. I'm a bit poor at the moment, so I'm just. <laughs> I, was, I was tempted. I was tempted, but. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the set itself. The films do only go for about, you know, 50, just under an hour, so it does sort of make them go by pretty quick, but some of them are feature length. I know The Monster and the Stripper is about a standard, you know, 90 minute film. Yeah, so you can do it all in a day. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might be a bit too much. I don't know. Uh, if I can do the extended Lord of the Rings editions, like if I can do some. <laughs> oh yeah, you can definitely you can breeze through the Ormonds. <laughs> Done. Well, that's, it's kind of kind of like the. Going to hell afterwards, though. That's the only trouble. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. All the good people are there. It's it's like the the Michael J Murphy box I got from Indicare. Like some are fifty minutes, some are forty. It's a bit of a mix, but if you can get through them quite quickly, kind yeah. Of the first yeah. the first two discs, like there's about ten films that are all like forty five to sixty minutes. So my I could. Guess, um, yeah, the Michael, Michael J Murphy was another box set that probably came out of the blue uh, for a lot of people, being um, you know yeah, not really sure. a well known filmmaker to see yeah. such a. a uh, 
you know, a, a comprehensive box set. I didn't actually grab that one because I've never seen any of his movies, but I know people that have got it and watched it. So I've read some really good things about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've got it. I've, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm almost there. I've got, um, I've got two more just to go, but, um. But yeah, there's some real gems in there. Some real. Uh, he was a very diverse filmmaker, from um, you know, erotic thriller to um, supernatural to um, uh, folklore to yeah. So it's a really, it's a fascinating set. So even though his his budgets were micro, um, he he kept he kept on going until his final days. Michael J. Murphy. So definitely worth worth a look if people are interested. Yeah, no, definitely uh, the the comments I've read about it and about the set itself as well as the films definitely got me intrigued but it was kind of one of those ones where i was like oh, i don't know anything about this guy you know do i really want to make the um the commitment especially when you know what other great stuff is also coming out that you've got on pre-order uh but yeah with, uh, with the ormans obviously yeah as soon as that one came up it was like an automatic uh, must have but you know, I guess for myself too, uh, being my first time on the Indicator Cast um, podcast, my my own sort of favourite Indicator release would probably have to be the uh, William Castle box sets. Being a big William Castle fan, especially the um, the volume one, I think that's the one that had Tingler and the brilliant Homicidal on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was a good. Yeah, one. we're about to. You, you jumped to it, John. I was about to ask you yeah, whether um uh, with Indicator, were there any sort of favourites of yours? But uh, I thought that would definitely be one of them. But... Yeah, no, definitely that one, and um, I'm also was also a big fan of their uh, Night of the Demon set, yes. another great um, release that they went the extra mile with, and again, well worth it because it's just such a great film. Um, George C. Scott's Hardcore is another favourite, again, just being a, a film that I've loved for so long since seeing it on VHS in the early 80s when it came out locally, and such a terrific film as well, and... Uh, if it comes to like guilty pleasure releases, I kind of like uh, Eye of the Cat yes. Indicator, which is a really nice release. Kind of a, you know, kind of like a, one of those films that you think, wow, they've really, um, you know, gone a bit more than they probably you would expect for the film. But when you watch it, you kind of think, yeah, a bit of fun. And I mean, I think that's the great thing about labels like this as well. It's I might think Eye of the Cat is like a cool but, un, you know, unremarkable film, but I'm sure there's people out there that, you know, absolutely love it. And for them, you know, a release like their Eye of the Cat one is, you know, like um, a gift from the gods. I'm one of those people. I adore Eye of the Cat. Cool. What makes you love it, Tony? Oh, probably because I'm... Well, for one, I'm a cat man myself. I'm a cat dad. I have one cat. <laughs> okay, no, cat. No, There's a lot of cats. It, 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 it is a... Um, it is a, a... To me, it's just a fascinating film. And, you know, with, um, you know, the... um, What's it? How do you call it? The... An heiress leaves her entire fortune to a cat and and the cats... And it's just... It's just a ridiculous premise. Looking film as well. Mm. Looks stunning. Yes. Uh, again, you know, when you see it for the first time on these beautiful Blu-rays, it makes you realise just how you know stunning the photography were on these films. Oh, for sure. And the best part is, is the the indicator version has two cuts of the movie. Mm. I believe. Uh, that's correct. Yeah, I think it does. It has like a TV version as well. Yes. Yeah, and the theatrical cut. Because, yeah, it was a pretty uh, strong film for its day. They would have had to cut it for its initial um, television uh, showing, I would imagine. Mm, definitely. 
especially in the US. I mean, we're a bit more free over here in Australia, which is always really weird. It's like in America, they, you know, in the 70s, they could show all sorts of violence on television, but a girl's bare farm or a pair of boobs, you know, was totally taboo, whereas over here in number 96, we were, like, seeing it all over the place. Oh, tell me about it. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite here. Um, no, um, and I was just curious, because, uh, you know, this fits into those, we, we were touching on it earlier, those sort of director box sets. Um, like I said, uh, I, what do you guys, I was just wondering, what do you guys think of these sort of complete works of sort of obscure filmmakers? Is it something like, like Michael J. Murphy or Ray Dennis Steckler or um, Al Adamson? Do you, is it something you want to see continuing? I mean, did you, I mean, do you get oh, this? Definitely for me. I mean, again, you know, it's, uh, I'm not going to buy every one. It does depend on how I respond to each one. But yeah, yeah. I certainly would encourage um, the, to, them to keep coming. I mean, you know, the Al Adamson one, I kind of like, I got it because I, I initially held back, but I did buy it um, at a cheaper price, only because um, most of the films I already sort of had on DVD and so many of the films were just like the same film as such, just like re-edited a little bit and yes. retitled. But, you know, certainly, again, was another terrific um, set. But uh, the William Grief one that Arrow did is a fantastic set. Oh. Um, you know, the Al Adams, uh, not the Al Adamson, the Hirsch... Um, Ray Dennis Steckler, sorry, who I'm also a big fan of. I mean, I love his stuff, so it was great to see his uh, box set come out. I guess the, the only sad thing is that a lot of these directors are no longer around to really see the appreciation and the love that uh, is going into preserving their works. No. William Brief is still around, which is great, and he was obviously pretty proud of the work Arrow did in presenting his films to the to the public. No, exactly, and uh, it's funny because Michael J. Murphy just just passed away about five years ago, so he didn't even see yeah. this. Yeah, he was pretty young, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was quite a. And uh, I'm actually working my way through the um the telling the story, Michael J. Murphy. They haven't gotten to his death yet, but I'm just curious because he wasn't he wasn't that old. It was quite a quite a shock. So I'm not sure what happened there, but um I'll I'll keep because yeah because he would have uh, just would have been amazing if he could see his work in a in a box set, um. The other one, yeah, that, that it was that weird Wisconsin box. I love that too. The Bill Rebane one, which was um. That oh, was okay, a, yeah, yeah. That was, that was <laughs> yeah, fascinating. Some weird stuff as well. And again, it seems to be these regional filmmakers that have a real uh, unique sort of atmosphere to their films. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 and they're, they're very, yeah. There's something about them. Uh, Tony, do, do you, you've got a few of these like, the box sets. Are there any favourites of yours that? Kind of director's up. box sets. Um, yeah. yeah, I think you've got. Oh no, um, uh, the um, oh, I'm trying to think. Uh, you you uh, watch some of the Al Adamson ones, a few of those. Yeah, I've seen the. I I don't own the Al Adamson ones. Unfortunately, I missed out on that one. But I have seen. I've seen a lot of them, and oh, they're definitely an acquired taste. That's for sure. <laughs> but they're hey. but they're fun to watch. Um. William Castle is another director. I've got both volumes from Indicator. I absolutely adore them. Um, Michael J. Murphy I just got recently, thanks to my partner, Natalie. She got it for me for Valentine's Day, so I thought that was appropriate. <laughs> and and um, what else did I get? Um, directors on DVD. I've got a John Waters box set on DVD. and That's a great um, one. That is a really good one, yeah, definitely. And... Um, 
Directors, I've got a lot of directors' collections on DVD. Like, I've got Michael Haneke on DVD as well from um, Director's Suite. Mm. And um, oh, Steven Spielberg, i got his uh, uh, some of his st- a collection of his stuff on Blu-ray and... But I love I love directors' collections. Like um, they they should mm. as you, as you were mentioning, they should keep on going with some directors' collections. Like um, I know um, I know the Australian label Imprint. They just released um the Jim Sheridan box in. That was fantastic. But yeah. um, but and um, I think there will be um a Walter Hill set soon. Don't know exactly when. That's been delayed for a while, but it should be coming. And I know there's going to be another one soon. I just don't know what. But I'm hoping. To for me, a good box, a perfect box set for me would be an Abel Ferrara set. That would be incredible. Mm. Green set, yeah, absolutely, definitely would. Yeah, Ferrara set would definitely uh, not go astray and would be pretty welcome and popular, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. It sure would be. It was also um, the the great uh, Doris Wishman sets that Agfer oh. something we had put out yes. as well in three volumes. You know, they were fantastic. Yes. I, I have know all you've got three those volumes practices. of them as well. Fantastic. Yeah, they, they they were brilliant. I love those those sets. Um, the the Twilight Years, uh, Moonlight Years. What was the other one? The um. Uh, the Daylight Years. Daylight, Daylight Years. Like the, the black and white ones, uh, which were my favourites. They were like the real uh, New York sort of roughies. Yes. And then there was the um. Uh, yeah, all the nudie cutie stuff, which again, that just looked gorgeous. I mean, the the remastering was so beautiful. The colours were just stunning. You know, yeah. just even when nothing was happening, you were just like glued to the screen, just looking at the detail in the in the images. So, another great thing I love about these old exploitation movies like these is uh, they are in their way like time capsules of an era. You know, because uh, yeah. working outside the studio with no budget, you know, they couldn't um, afford to hire someone to create sets and dress people according to their own vision. So people just like showed up as they normally dressed and everything was filmed on existing sets or existing locations and existing houses. And that really gives these films a real, um, you know, appeal in terms of like being a time capsule and an important, uh, <clears throat> you know, image of that era. Different. Sure, absolutely. Um, and sometimes, yeah. even if it's a really crappy film, you know, I can just keep watching it purely because of all the great architecture in the background, or all the great buildings, and all the great, you know, old businesses that they go past, and all the shops. Absolutely, and that's the beauty of how good these can look. These films, and when they're restored, um, you know, just 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 visually, they're a treat just to look at in terms of the. Oh, it's like watching them, you know, when I sort of started, um, you know, getting like grainy 10th generation VHS dubs of Herschel Gordon-Lewis films from polyester. You know, I, I loved them back then seeing them like that, but, you know, seeing them on DVD was a revelation again and seeing them on Blu-ray was an even further revelation. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Kendall, do you have any... So director theme box sets like from you know Severin or Indie. Oh, obviously no Indicator. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I've got the indie ones. I didn't. I never got the um the Severin ones. Um. I do have a couple. I've got a couple. I've got a Woody Allen box set controversy, but yeah, I love his films. It's fine. Yeah, I've, I've got, got I've got the Arrow. Three Woody Allen box sets, which I, I don't yeah. care. I'm an immense fan. I don't care what anyone says. I yeah. love Woody Allen's movies. I don't yeah. give a shit. No, nah, I like these. Um, 
I mean, I don't have them all, and I probably won't get them all, but I do like um, how they're doing it for all these directors who weren't really... I guess in a way they were regarded well back in the day to an extent by a small fan base, but um, just to give them the treatment that they have, because these guys are just like film lovers just like us, and they were making movies just for people like us, and for them to be like... For these boxes to be curated in their name, it's... Um, I think it's wonderful. I think it's cool. Mm. Oh, well, I mean, I won't get them all, but, you know. Yeah, I think it's the same thing, yeah. I don't need um, to have anything, but, yeah, I can um, appreciate and, and, and admire and, um, you know, be happy for those fans that, you know, do like that particular director's work. Yeah, exactly. So I know how I feel when it's someone that, that um, I really admire that gets a, gets their own box set. You know, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. The only yeah, problem yeah. is the wait to get your hands on it. Yeah, the wait, yes. A long wait. Well, is it May? May, yeah, end of May, yeah. So I can't wait for it to to get in my hands. I don't have the Mexican set. I've got that on order as well, so I'm looking forward to both of them. There you go. But both are coming in May. I think, like, I'm also, like, prone to, like, sort of box sets that, like, do like in a sort of genre in a way, like all the hammer box sets. I love the hammer box sets. Like, um, rather than uh, director focus. Yeah. I mean, not like nothing against the director, but, um, I do like those ones as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, it's good to see a, a curation of a set that has different filmmakers, but, you know, made by the same studio or within the yeah. same genre. You know, and again, with some directors, you know, like I love Steven Spielberg, but I don't need a box set of every one of his films. You know? Yeah, no, that's fair. About exactly. 30 or 40% that I really love and the rest I can, you know, do without. But, um, yeah, exactly. you know, again, when it comes to like the, the more obscure directors, that's when you get a bit more excited about it. And when yeah. you get uh, someone like the Ormonds, again, you know, once you've got this box set, that's pretty much going to be it. You know, you're never going to really need anything more. No. Uh, whereas uh, a director that's still working, you know, there's always going to be future box sets down the road. Um, yeah, for sure. They're going to get re-released in director's cuts, you know, whereas this is kind of like a one and done. You've got this and you're probably going to have everything you need to know about the Ormonds. Yeah, 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 all in one place. I was going to mention as well, um, I don't know if you know, John, about the too much about this but looks like you know the 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 great nicholas winding reffin reffin is behind this uh set i mean he must be a fan of of their work yeah i mean um first i've heard but i know he was involved in the um the 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 milligan box set wasn't he or i know he was involved in the the reissuing of uh jimmy mcdonald's uh milligan biography I think uh, FAB Press reprinted that a few years ago in like a great big hardcover edition that also had presented by NWR. So yeah. whether he's, uh, yeah, like a fan of the films or just doing a bit of work um, specifically for Fab Press or Jimmy McDonough, it's quite interesting. But, yeah, definitely an association I hadn't um, heard of previously. Yeah. I, think he's, I think he's a fan of like indie, indie American cinema because you got this cause you, and he did Night Tide. Night and he time. did Spring Night, Summer Night, which is another indie, yeah. indie like American film. So I think I think he like knows some shit. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, I'm sure he's knowledgeable and not just yeah. thinking he's putting his name on it just for you know some sort of um, you know status or whatever. <laughs> yeah, brownie yeah, points here. Yeah, no. Clearly, like a, yeah, a fan and knows his stuff about him. Mm, for sure. Yeah, 
he definitely does because he um because that's funny you you asked them um you asked the guys from indicator on that yeah if do more nicholas winding reffin and yeah i mean they hinted something was coming maybe this is it this is definitely the one they were talking about yeah i feel like this one yeah as soon as i saw the name i was like ah yeah there it is <laughs> Amazing. um tony what, what do you think about that you know with that connection i know that you um you know you're a fan of nwr uh, what do you think of that interesting connection there? Well, one thing I love about NWR is he is an absolute film lover. Like, um, he did a fantastic um, restoration on um, – he was involved, I should say, in a fantastic restoration of Night Tide, as we, as we actually discussed in an episode. And um, – but, yeah, with, with one – with NWR, he's also a great director. Like he has made some amazing movies like Valhalla Rising, Drive, oh, and God, yeah. God Only Forget. Oh, they're fan, they're amazing movies. Drive is Drive is probably one of I think is one of his best movies. Mm-hmm. Only God Forgives is pretty good, but a lot of people I know that movie divided a lot of people. But yeah, he loves cinema. That's what that's why I highly respect Nicholas Winding Refn. He he absolutely loves loves cinema especially the um the obscure type of, of film and that's and to me that's incredible the real cult stuff yeah mm. definitely does um so just quickly i mean i'll we'll quickly run through the box um for people curious um and, and look we can go through the titles and john if there's any titles you want to recommend to listeners to check out um obviously it is a curated set you know, it does go in order, but if there's any that, you know, really stand out, please, you know, uh, let us know so we can uh, let, let people know. Because th- there are, like I said, there's so many films on here. There's a lot. <laughs> a lot of... I know. And, and short films and whatnot. So, um, and they're all from various prints. Um, I'll, I'll quickly read the summary of the box, just just briefly. Okay, so presented by Nicholas Winding Refn from Hollywood to Hell, tells the extraordinary story of a true unique American filmmaking family. For almost half a century, June, Ron, and Tim Ormond, a Nashville mother, father-son trio, cranked out a wild bunch of movies from Lash, La Rue, westerns to stripper gore musical outraged exotic ones and plunge into every area of show business. What's more, they did it with a shoestring totally totally independently with no studio to back them. At the height of their frenzy career, Ron and June experience a spiritual awakening when their private plane crashed on the way to a premiere. That's what you were telling us, John. Uh, from then on, they turn their uh, their show business to produce a series of shocking, surreal religious pictures, including an unbelievable trio for Mississippi Baptist priester, uh, preacher um, Estes uh, Perkle, films such as The Burning Hell, which made millions despite never being shown in an actual movie theater. Produced by Powerhouse Films in association with NWR and released in uh, coincide with Fab Press publications of forensic biographer Jimmy uh, McDonald's, uh, all inspiring tome on the extraordinary life of the work of Ormond family. The strictly limited, individually numbered Blu-ray box set contains 13 feature films, a host of new archival extras, including five new audio commentaries and a collection of rarely seen short films, as well as a set of art cards and fully illustrated illustrated 100-page book newly written by McDonoghue. Uh, so the extras, Tony, if you just want to tell us a little bit about the set, and what, what what's included in this box? Sure thing. Um, the Indicator Limited Edition Blu-ray box set special features include 
new 2K restorations of If Footmen Tire, What Will Horses Do, The Burning Hell, and The Believer's Heaven from the original duplicate negatives. New 2K restoration of 39 stripes from the only known surviving 16mm print. New 2K restorations of It's About the Second Coming from the best quality surviving 16mm print elements. Newly remastered presentations of Untamed Mistress, Please Don't Touch Me, White Lightning Road, The Girl from Tobacco Row, 40 Acre Feud, and The Exotic Ones from Rare Surviving Standard Definition Master Tapes. Standard Definition presentations of The Grim Reaper and The Sacred Symbol, mastered from the best available sources. Original mono audio. Audio commentary with author and all-mind biographer Jimmy McDonough on Please Don't Touch Me. Audio commentary with McDonough and actress, exotic dancer, fire eater and carny queen Georgette Dante on The Exotic Ones from 2023. Audio commentary with documentarian Brian Rosenquist and Greg Perkle, son of Baptist minister and all-mind collaborator Estes Perkle on If Footmen Tire, you, what will horses do from 2023? Audio commentary with McDonough, filmmaker Tim Ormond, and film restorationist Peter Conheim on The Burning Hell from 2023. And audio commentary with McDonough and Ormond on this It's About the Second Coming from 2023. Um, Ryan, would you like to continue on with the, um, with the features? Yes. Uh, Estes W. Perkle's sermon uh, from 1970, 64-minute, rare and previously unreleased archival audio recording. Edge of Tomorrow from 1961, which is 50 minutes. Uh, June and Ron Orman's lost portrait of UFO, Hucksucker, Reinhold O. Schmidt, presented from a rare VHS source. A tribute to Houdini from 1987, which is 60 minutes. Directed by Tim Ormond and featuring John Calvert performing an array of tricks inspired by celebrated escape artist and magician Harry Houdini. Lash LaRue, A Man and His Memories from 1992, 70 minutes. Tim Ormond's rarely seen documentary in which he which the beloved Western star reflects upon his life and work. June Carr, the virtual the Van Devillian uh, from 97, which is 30 minutes. Tim Ormond's loving portrait of his mother and collaborator, June Carr Ormond. Forgotten Memories from 97, which is 20 minutes. Tim Ormond's short drama starring June Ormond, in which two women meet under extraordinary circumstances. Uh, original theatrical trailer for White Lightning Road. Radio spots, new English subbies for the deaf and hard of hearing. Limited edition, limited edition exclusive 100-page book with extended essay by Jimmy McDonough, uh, Peter Conheim on the restorations and full film credits. Limited edition exclusive art cards, world premiere on Blu-ray, uh, limited to 6,000 sets numbered units for the UK and US. It's region free. Uh, uh, the numbers, what's the numbers? It's number 390 to 390. Three. Yeah, um, up there. Cert 15, 15 and older to purchase, buy and watch. Wow. 
Now that that's a set. <laughs> that's a set. For for four discs only, that's an incredible amount of extras. Mm. Um, uh, John, are, are there any films that stand out or um, a, any extras you're excited about in the set? It sounds like yeah, it's quite a uh, quite a few. Uh, I guess one thing should also uh, go back briefly to where it says, you know, how the Burning Hell made millions, just made millions despite mm. never being shown in an actual movie yeah. theater. And I think that's kind of important to point out for a, a lot of these uh, later religious films that the Ormans made weren't sort of screened in traditional like uh, exploitation grindhouse cinemas or drive-ins. They were usually screened in like religious tents that would sort of travel from town to town, mainly down south, where mm. they'd have like a revival meeting or they'd just, um, you know, the local church or they'd hire out a local town hall and screen the film there. And I think um, that's probably another reason why the films haven't been more widely available, just because, you know, it wasn't they weren't the sort of films where, you know, like they would make dozens of prints and send them off to every state uh, to show in the various uh, mm. various cinemas and drive-ins. So that's uh, kind of important as well to, to note the, the kind of environment that these films would have initially been screened in as well, as a, uh, not just, you know, the actual films themselves. But certainly in terms of the, the films that I'm looking forward to, and certainly I'd say, you know, for any people that are buying the set and don't know anything about um, the Ormans or their history, then, you know, certainly I would say the, you know, the, the few uh, later films, like If Footman Tie You, What Will Horses Do, The Burning Hell, uh, 39 Stripes, which was uh, his last film, I believe, they're all really good and good starting points, as would also be The Exotic One, again, one of his more famous non-religious uh, films, even though it still does sort of touch on, you know, sinners and repentance, so there's always that angle to their films. And uh, White Lightning Road and The Girl from Tobacco Row, again, good sort of a uh, Poverty Row exploitation films uh, that have that great sort of southern um, slimy sort of atmosphere of the bayous. And in terms of the extras, uh, obviously, yeah, uh, looking forward to seeing the, the little doco on um, uh, some of the uh, different people, like, um, and the extras W. Perkle sermon should be interesting. The last thing we heard, you were talking about the, um, the documentaries. should be pretty good, uh, especially the one on the UFOs from 1961. I've always been a bit of a sucker for, you know, cheesy UFO documentaries from yeah. that period. Uh, the Houdini doco should be pretty interesting as mm. well. Yeah, for sure. I haven't seen many, like, UFO stuff from that period. No, most of it sort of comes from the... Um, the 70s really uh when that whole sort of chariots of the gods um hysteria hit in the early 70s mm. even yeah whatever yeah and all that stuff i find on buddy um tubi all those trashy alien stuff i find on tubi it's always good fun to watch oh <laughs> uh, yeah i love all those um sort of four documentaries from the 70s like the mysterious yeah. monsters and um there was one about, uh, you know, the search for Noah's Ark, all that great stuff that I sort of watched as a kid on Saturday and Sunday afternoon, you know, matinee television. Always like a real, uh, again, uh, I think what we're talking about with uh, the Ormans just uh, have their own sort of um, atmosphere to them, their own sort of ambience. It's beautiful. And a similar style of acting as well, which is, um, you know, not wholly professional, let's say. 
<laughs> but interesting. And uh, again, you know, just lots of great faces as well. Like you look at, uh, you know, even George Ed Dante on the cover of the box set, you know, has such an interesting face and style about her. She does, doesn't she? Yeah. 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 Uh, pink lipstick and like a horned rimmed glasses. Yeah, the cat eye glasses. Yes, the cat eye at on. I think it's it's a perfect image for the box. Like it kind of sums up everything. <laughs> it does, yeah. It's, and yet it really doesn't give like much away. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's the good thing about it. Uh, but it lures you in. You're like, oh, what's this about? Mm, the glamorous life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and into the world. Um, no, that. That's amazing. Uh, Tony, are there any extras there or anything that kind of you're, you're looking forward to in the set? I mean, there, there is a lot. I mean, <laughs> Oh, there's quite a lot of document, quite a lot of extras for sure. But mainly for me, the, um, the, the 1992 documentary Lush LaRue, A Man in His Memories, about Tim Warmon's latest documentary based on the Western star Lush, Lush LaRue. That looks appealing because I love Westerns. And, yeah. um, oh, there's just so many. But the one thing I'm looking forward to is watching these films because I I am actually so intrigued. I can't wait to get it. I really want to see all these films soon. Same. I'm, I'm <laughs> dying to see them now. I don't know if I can wait till May. Um, I have to be patient. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just... There is a few of them on YouTube, but, yeah, try and watch them <laughs> out if you can. Because yeah. I imagine... Um, yeah, they're going to look spectacular. But yeah, yeah. Um, a few of the notorious uh, religious films are up on YouTube in varying qualities. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I did sort of watch a few few sort of select uh, minutes of a couple of them just to refresh for this um, uh, this appearance on the podcast. But yeah, I was kind of like, no, I don't want to watch anymore. I want to savor the the Blu-rays when they come out. It's mm-hmm. not that far off. It's not no, like I don't yeah. have a file. I think I'm going to go blind for sure. I'm definitely going to go blind for sure for this one. It's about mentioned. It's a shame, much like Michael J. Murphy. It's a, a situation where, um, unfortunately, not everything can be saved on film. It looks like they have had to use some standard deaf masters or yeah, and a few VHS sources and that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is what it is. I mean, it's it's yeah. you know it's it, it same with Michael J. Moore. It's not it's not distracting. It's just each film has it, it's you know it's better than nothing. I'll say that. <laughs> you know, at least yeah, we can. See. At least yeah, and you're still getting 2K restorations of at least um, what six or seven uh, films, so that's still a good deal of them. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. but a lot of the extras as well, a lot of the little docos and all that, look like they come from old uh, VHS sources. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As long as they uh, come from polyester books, we should still be able to see them. So yeah, I mean that, that gives us a lot of context, John. Really appreciate it because we um we were really in the dark about the set. I mean Ryan, I presume this is yeah, like I said, it's no, just never even heard of it. So nah. <laughs> um, when when this was announced, were you quite surprised that the set was coming? Like, did you hear anything about it, or no, did it just kind of? Absolutely had no idea. So yeah, it was totally blind. Um, and yeah, a real nice surprise. And as I said, uh, that's as soon as I saw it, uh, first thing I did was like uh, contact Leah Cinemaniacs and say make sure you put one aside for me. Um, but
through, uh, you know, labels like Something Weird, which you would imagine, you know, a label like that, uh, one of their pages would likely announce a, 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 a film or release like this if they knew it was coming. But, yeah, certainly I was totally blindsided by it. I think we all were. It was all pretty much under wraps. Like, I, I didn't see any leaks or anything about it, so it was a real nice... Pleasant surprise. The only thing I did know is um, I did um, hear that uh, Jimmy McDonough was working on a uh, Mormon book for Fab Press, so I knew that had been in the, you know, the the, the works for a while. But um, yeah, McDonough is someone that takes you know many years to write a book, and he has actually said this is going to be his last um, film biography as such. Uh, so yeah, I knew the book was on its way, but definitely not the the film. So I guess I should have like maybe thought. Um, that you know, you, you rarely see a big book like that these days without some sort of like accompanying Blu-ray yes. release uh, with it. But yeah, the, the news itself definitely was a surprise. Yeah, absolutely amazing. No, very very cool. Um, yeah, so that's coming out late May. So yeah, is there um, I guess it's, is, is there anything else, uh, Tony Ryan or anything else? Or I think I think John's John's pretty much given us a lot of knowledge on on these yeah filmmakers. absolutely at least at least um john's given us a, a, an education for sure oh, about the yeah, yeah, as i said yeah definitely got a bit of a an interest in um the old educational films and also uh, the religious films I, I did a couple of years ago wrote uh, my last book was on a guy called marjo gordner who was like uh, america's youngest child evangelist in the 1940s when he was like four and five years old he was like uh, an ordained minister who was creating controversy by marrying people and performing sermons and he then went on in the disappeared once he outgrew his cuteness but then came back in the 70s as a Mick Jagger like a uh, revival preacher and documentary <laughs> in the early 70s called Marjo, which won the Oscar that year for Best Doco, and he kind of used the success of that documentary to propel himself to a career in film and television. And he sort of starred in a lot of movies like Earthquake and uh, Hellhole, the notorious 80s women in prison oh. film. American Ninja 3, Mausoleum, uh, and he was, yeah, uh, did like a lot of the, the religious revo uh, revival meetings, like uh, the sort of uh, tent shows where the Ormond films may have been screened as well, so you know, I definitely already had that sort of interest in that side of the uh, film industry. Get a plug? Well, um... Oh, no, that's fine, yeah, you can just um, yeah, plug the know whatever the umbrellas do you want me to send you a link or something to my uh blogger page or... yeah that'll be great yeah anything i'll put it in there so people can follow john and, and john you're on you know social media facebook and whatnot you know if anyone wants yeah. to reach out you know, yeah, i could just like send you the links if that'll make it easier yeah uh, great I'll, I'll put in the show notes so people can see your work and what you've done and uh get in contact if yeah if they want to reach out to john cool and uh hopefully uh tony gets his um terrifying box tomorrow